God bless you, everybody. Welcome to another amazing service here at the Resurrection Center. I am Minister Waylon Point. Pre uh, I will be bringing a message to you tonight. For all those who are on social media, please share and like our page at www.resurrectionspringfield.org. You can also find us on social media, TRC413. So what we're going to be discussing tonight is on the topic of embracement or embrace. So God put in my heart to speak about embrace the light. So I'm going to ask everybody to go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Again, it's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. And it states, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So as I was reading and studying chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians, I read this book, I mean this chapter, numerous times, and at one point, God started putting in my heart, light, light, light. In this world, there's only two realities, darkness and light. There's no gray zone. I know the world likes to think there's a gray zone, but I tell you right now, that's not reality. Reality is good, bad, right, wrong, light, and darkness. You are either a child of darkness or a child of light. That's all that's to it. Once we were in darkness, we sinned heavily, whether we knew it or not. Most of us who don't know God or don't serve Him did grow up in families that knew God, sinned in more ways than one, in more ways they could count, whether they knew it or not, they did it out of joy or ignorance. But uh, we fornicated, we committed adulteries, we lived in anger. Wrath, unforgiveness, bitterness, and there's so many other sins out there that I could sit here all day naming them all, but I'm not going to. But some of the ones I want, there's only three main ones I really want to talk about tonight. It's fear, doubt, and regret. Fear causes us to shut down or to do things that are completely stupid and can cause us death, harm, and so much more. Fear shuts many people down in many ways. Fear can stop you from doing what you're called to do. Fear can stop you from going out on a date, taking a chance. If you're like an entrepreneur, you may not take that chance to start in a business that God has been calling you to do. Or you've been feeling it in your heart. If you don't know God, or you've been feeling it in your heart, let's say you want to start up a computer company, for example. But people around you, driving you to the point where you're so afraid of all the what is, the what is, the what is, you will never take that opportunity to take that chance and say, you know what, I feel struggling in my heart. I know I'm good at it, I know I'm skilled at it, I know people that will help, let me do it, but instead, you walk away from it. But the same token, fear can make you do a lot of stupid things. I say that out of experience. I did so many stupid things that, you know, I didn't know God growing up. I should be dead 20 times over. Um, years back, some of you know, some of you don't know, I wrote a book. It's called A Seed of Faith. At one point when I was writing this book, I actually tried to count how many times I should be dead right now. I actually lost count because of my own, a lot of it was my own ignorance. I'll tell you that right now. Um, I used to like climbing if I could find a way to climb something, I found a way to climb it. I don't know what it was, 
years later, I figured out it was a fear of living. I really didn't care what happened to me. So I just did whatever I could that felt good in the moment, that pushed me to my edge, not caring what would truly happen. I used to go to a swimming pond uh, near a bring of flowers. There used to be a little area where you could dive down like 15 feet, there's a hole. I used to dive all the way down, going into the hole, not knowing where that hole would be. I could easily drown. Um, there's a time where I went to the beach with my best friend. We used to go camp, I mean not camp, but we used to go to hit the beach every year and um, we now have the rocks go out into the water. Well, one day, don't ask me why, I don't know, it was a stupid decision. I decided to climb down into the rocks. I found a hole that was big enough to fit me, and believe me, I was skinny, so if I could find a way to do it, I did. So I found a way to climb down the hole, and I started climbing through all the rocks. And my best friend is yelling at me to get out of the water because the tide is coming up. Not so down there. So I don't panic, but I'm starting to rust to try to find anything on how to get back out. So eventually, I'll give or take 30, 50 feet down as I'm climbing. So I finally found a hole, but the only way to do it is I had to go into the ocean. So what I do, I dive into the ocean. I made it, I was fine. I wasn't weary of it at all. Like I got chewed out the whole time we were walking back to where we were staying. But the only funny part I, I found about all this, when we got back, his father kept drilling me about what girl I was messing with because if you looked at my back, I had scratches up and down the entire length of my back. So it looked like I was literally messing with somebody and just scratching my back. So you know, it was a really stupid thing. I always find humor in some of the stupid stuff I always did. Now, fear, can shut you down, it can wake you up. You're, but the only way it really wakes you up is if it's the fear of the Lord. And it's not, a, I'm afraid of God, it's a reverence to God. If you give your reverence to God, then he's gonna set you right, he's gonna set you straight, he's gonna set you on the right path. And you're not actually gonna be afraid in a bad way to do what you're supposed to be doing, what he's called you to do, what he's asking you to do. And part of what's going on right now in the world is fear. And that's not God. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a little bit. But we have to escape fear. Fear is not what is of God. God is God of courage, of peace, of strength. He pushes us to do things. But if we're afraid of doing it, we're not doing it with his will. So now we're going to doubts. Doubts could cause us to drown in loneliness, anxiety, uncertainty, fear, lack or refusal to trust. Doubt is almost as bad as fear because it shuts you down to doing what you're supposed to be doing. Because you're putting in your own mind that I can't do it. God has given us the gifts to do everything that we are supposed to do, that we are called to do, that we always so strongly in our heart we're able to do. If you're an artist and you know you have the ability to do it, if people always tell you you're a great artist, but you don't do it because you doubt yourself. You doubt, I'm, not, I'm really not that good, but when you really are. I used to do a lot of stuff growing up that, especially writing, I used to love writing. I hate math. I, math is my worst subject. And my daughters, especially my youngest one, they flutter me all the time about math. But God had put 
the gift of my heart of writing. And when I was little, I didn't know this until my mom actually told me. I had been writing since I was five years old. And when I got to high school, the desire was so strong. I couldn't even get, wait to get to math and chemistry just to write all the equations out. I can't say math. I'm horrible at it. But the fact that just the joy of writing all the equations out should have said something to me, but I wouldn't listen to people. Um, I got into what they said was a typing class, but it wasn't even typing. It had to do with writing stories. So one way I was kind of upset and angry because I wanted to learn how to type, because I was going to college the following year for computer programming. But then again, I love writing. So I was like kind of angry one way, but then I was like, okay, I'm good at another. So through all this, in my first semester of college, I had numerous people coming up to me and ask me, why aren't you becoming a writer? Doubt set in. I never felt like I was good enough. I loved to write, I enjoyed it. More than I could express how much joy I felt in doing it. I got lost in writing the stories I wrote. And I'm not just talking about like short stories, I would write like almost a book type of short story. I would see everything going on in my head and literally write it down, almost like a script. That's why I enjoy doing the scripts we do here with my sister Yolanda, because it's part of the gift that God has always given me, which is writing. So at one point, I kept fighting everybody. I even fought my professors that would always ask me, why don't you write? And I always never felt like I was never good enough. But at some point, God is amazing. God turns it all around. Why? I wrote two books. It wasn't just me, though. I did it in conjunction, in a partnership with my pastor. The first book was about his life. He gave me the gift to be the writer for him. I got to know pastor much more than we had before. That brought us closer together. That built a bond between us, a trust that wasn't there before. Because many of you in this room, many of you who are probably watching us right now, and many of you who don't know us, has heard his testimony here in the church and some of mine about how I told him the same. He couldn't stand me, I couldn't stand him. <laughs> it was who we were in that moment. Different backstories, different levels of um, understanding and the walk of the Lord for him. I was even serving the Lord. I think at that point I almost gave up on the Lord. And for a month or two, I actually did give up on God thinking there was no such thing as God because I couldn't see what was going on, the divorce I was dealing with, I couldn't believe that God would truly allow this to happen. But part of that is all about ignorance. I didn't truly understand who God was. I understood growing up there was a God, but I didn't know what that meant. Nobody really taught me. So at some point I gave up on God. But I thank God that he brought this man into my life because I'm standing here before you today. I can honestly say, if it wasn't for God to put a pastor in my life when he did, to work with me for the time frame he had, when the divorce started and everything that happened happened, I would not be standing before you. Because I came close to committing suicide. I almost ran a butcher knife through my heart. I was in so much pain, I couldn't take it. So I was willing to shove a knife through my chest. But the moment I grabbed that, I went from doubt and fear to God reminding me, almost making me relive the moment. I promised my oldest daughter the day she was born, I would never leave her without a father. 
Ever since then, I have been running from fear. I've been running from doubt. Try to chase God down because I want him more. It took time. It took a lot of struggles. It took a lot, it took a lot of headaches from this man to set me straight. So I thank you. I thank God for being patient with me. Because Lord knows he could have gave up on me, but he didn't. So take this as a small little piece of testimony. If you are out there right now thinking with what's going on in this world, and it's not going to pass, or your life is going to fall apart, you're going to get sick, you're going to die, your family members are going to die, trust me and believe. As much as you think you're alone, God is with you. Don't doubt that. Don't fear it. It's actually a blessing. Along with fear and doubts always comes regrets. I am a walking man of regrets. Not anymore, thank God, but I was. I should say I was a walking man of regrets. Regret is a living poison that sits in your heart. The faster as it grows over time. I saw a movie recently that actually showed an amazing visualization of this. And I'm not going to say what that was because we're not getting paid to promote it. <laughs> but it's an amazing movie. I can tell you guys one on one, but I always knew regret and unforgiveness is a poison that can live in your heart. And I remember hearing that story for the first time, you know, and visualizing that in my head what it looks like. But when you live in regret, that pain, that hurt, the regret, whatever is causing that regret will grow so much that it will start to eat you up on the inside. A story I like to use when it comes to regret is what happened with me and my grandfather. The last time I ever talked to my grandfather was, I believe, two weeks before he passed away. We got in a massive argument over something I didn't know about yet. I just started driving. I just got my license not too long ago. I, nobody taught me the importance of registration, inspections, and other stuff like that. So I had the car, the deal was if something goes wrong with the car, I fix it. So I was in the shop for like two weeks because at one point I was going out with my ex-wife when we were still dating. I hit a bump, the muffler got ripped off. I had a guy next to me laughing at me. And of course it's frustrating me, but I'm fixing it, doing what I promised. So at one point he called me up, chewing me out, so I had to come over to the house, get to the registration. I'm like, well, I didn't know. You guys never taught me. My mother didn't teach me. They didn't teach me. None of my uncles taught me. So how am I supposed to know this? So I go over to his house after I get it out of the shop for the second time because the muffler was coming loose, making a lot of noise. I had to bring it back to fix it. So when I get to his house, we get in a big argument. I don't know any better. I'm a stupid 16 or 17 year old. I think it was, I think it was actually 17 because it was right before I started college. So summer goes by, don't even talk to him. The day before I'm supposed to start my first semester of college, he dies. He passes away. I get called to rush to the, to the hospital because he's pretty much not going to survive the night. That tore me apart. The fact that I couldn't talk to him, I couldn't ask him to forgive me, I couldn't even tell him I loved him. He was out. They tried to do surgery. They, his stomach looked like it blew up inside. There was nothing they could do to save him. So, and I hadn't eat, even eaten that day, so my stomach was killing me that day. So at one point, I ran to the bathroom because I thought I was going to throw up from just all the emotions that was tearing me inside. And now, this is only the beginning of regret. 
So he ends up passing away while I'm in there. My, I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> I can feel it already. What happened that day, I came out of the bathroom. My aunt told me my, my grandfather passed away, so she walked into the room with me. So my aunt and my dad walked into the room so I could say goodbye, and I lost it. I was crying like hysterically on my aunt's shoulder. My dad, you know, and I haven't seen my dad in years, so having my dad back in my life right before this happened was a benefit too. So my dad was in there trying to console me, my aunt tried to console me. I held on to that regret for 11 years. And every time somebody said, that, said something to me about my grandfather, it tore me apart. I was fine in front of people. You said something to me about my grandfather, I was cool. I get alone, I was like a walking mess. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take somebody saying something to me about my grandfather, even in a positive light, which it almost always was. But the regret I held inside for a conversation and an argument ate me up for 11 years. It affected my marriage. It affected my relationship with both my daughters, with people I've worked with, friends. That regret ruined a lot of my life because I didn't know any better. It took one of my sisters that I used to work with that moved to Puerto Rico now. One day, because me, Pastor Jose, and our sister, her name was Millie, we used to go to the chapel work every day for lunch and break so we could pray, we could fellowship, Pastor um, Ward Hines and I would give us like a small little reflection. At that point, that was more like a teaching because I was just a baby getting to know God. So one day she told me that God told her to give me a message. So she gives me the message. The key to letting go of your grandfather and that regret is your grandmother. Because when you're married, you become one. They were married for like give or take 30 years. I don't remember the exact number. Actually, I think it was closer to 40 or 50, but I don't remember. So, one night I was praying and I started crying. So I started thinking about my grandfather. So I got up to blow my nose and right as I went to go walk in my room, I stopped. I turned around, I went to go talk to my grandmother. All I said was, I miss grandpa and I lost it. But after talking to her that day, I let go of that regret. That was the key I needed to start finding peace with what happened between me and him. So I'm telling you this because regret can destroy people. There's a lot of people out there who will commit suicide because of regret. They will commit adultery. They will commit or have divorces. People do a, a lot of things because of regret. So Please, if you are fighting regret, doubts, and fears for anything, seek God. Let it go. All it's going to do is harm you in more ways I can tell you. I'm going to give you a couple of my testimonies. and These are strong testimonies that I've had to deal with. Pastor had to deal with some of it because he had to help me through it a lot. So I have to thank God for being with me every step of the way, having an amazing man next to my side, working with him eight hours a day. So the fact that I had a, a, a godly man working next to me for eight hours was like eight hours of blessings every day, nonstop teachings. Once I started accepting it, I should say. 
He's already giving you the roll of eyes. Like I said, I was a I was a headache to Pastor uh, when we first met, and I I think I still have to thank God every day for him because he could have gave up on me. He could have left like he was supposed. He was supposed to leave when we first started working together because he was originally supposed to move to a different department. But when our manager asked him to stay as a two-man team, he kind of walked away. But I thank God he did. He stuck with me, and now he's not only one of my best friends, he's a mentor, and he's my pastor, but I also truly see him as my spiritual father. He earned all of those rights in my life. So next, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. And the word says, therefore, he says, actually, I want everybody here, I want everybody watching at home, say this with me. Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Amen. So before we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts and our lives, spiritually speaking, you are dead, you are asleep. And some people who have accepted Jesus, believe it or not, and unfortunately, are spiritually dead because they've given up on God, even though they pretend that they're a Christian, they, they pretend they're godly men or women, but spiritually, they're far from God. And it's a sad thing. People have backslided, or they really never truly accepted into his heart and gave him the place he deserves. So unfortunately, there are brothers, out, brothers and sisters out there that are spiritually dead, as well as those who don't know the Lord yet. And we have to constantly fight this because there's a war inside each and every one of us. Um, inside each of us, there's darkness and there's light. Darkness represents sin, and light represents God and his righteousness if he's with us. Um, at this point, can I ask Brother Dave and Sister Yolanda to come up on the stage so I can use you as a, a visualization? So, don't get mad for picking this. You guys chose your spots, so this is what God told me to do. Well, it's a blessing, actually, because in the visualization God gave me, she's a represent God, he's a represent Satan. So, now remember, I didn't choose this, <laughs> but you think about it, God is righteous, he's right, he's always correct, right-hand side, so she's God. He's going to play Satan. So in this scenario, the battle within us is always between light and darkness, God and Satan. But the difference is, in our minds, we always think God allows all this to happen. He doesn't care. He doesn't love us. And we sin. So we're always shifted towards God. I mean, Satan. We make our choices, whether they're good or bad. We know they sin, so we're a child of the darkness. But why does God let people die? Why did he let my wife, my father, my husband, my children die? How could a God of love do that? God loves us. The problem is, and everybody watching needs to understand this, God is a God of love. He's 
And he cares about every one of you. But the difference is, the world we live in is broken and it's sinful. He doesn't allow it. He gives us the choice. You make your choice whether or not you choose to sin or you don't. You can't blame God. He fights for us. He fights. He does more than you can imagine behind the scenes because he's a spirit. When something bad is about to happen, let's say something's about to mug you, for example. He's trying to speak to the heart and the spirit of the one that's about to mug you. God is the kind of person who lets us do what we choose to do. He doesn't want puppets. He doesn't want slaves. He wants a relationship. A relationship is free. If I'm going to have a relationship with my sister Maria, I'm not going to force her to love me, to listen to me, to spend time with me, to be with me, whatever the case might be. That's not what love is. That's not what a relationship is. And that's not how God is. She has the right to say, you know what? You're not for me. I don't feel it in my heart that you should be in my life. Or, you know what? I feel like you're going to be a good value to my life. She's not going to literally say that to me. But in her heart, she's like, no, he's going to be worth it. I feel like God is putting him in my life. So she has the choice, just like all of you. So in our minds, we think that this one is pushing us to this one. But in reality, I'm always stuck here. And he's trying to come forward to me. Because he's trying to snag me away from God's hand. God always has you in his hand. As long as you allow him, you're never going to depart from him. It's this one that's trying to dig his way into your mind and your heart that makes you doubt this one who's representing God. He's the father of deception and lies, tricks, traps, you name it. And if it's evil, he has the master plan for it. So, we have to start remembering our minds. There's a battle won, and you have to accept that. And we'll talk about acceptance in a couple of minutes. God loves you. He wants you in his life. But it's your choice whether you accept him or not. He will hold you as strong as he can. And this one has already lost. He gave up his son for you. He shed his blood. He took whippings, beatings, mockeries, you name it. He was so busted that he was a figure. You couldn't tell who Jesus was while he's on the cross. He paid the ultimate sacrifice with giving up his son to defeat this one who represents Satan. But Satan is, is so deluded that he thinks he has a chance to still win. But he's already lost. So, in the midst of all your mind battles, this one is still trying to get to you. But the thing is, you're still letting doors open. You're leaving doors open. Some cases, you're kicking that door wide open for him to come in. It's your choice. Thank you. <clears throat> so, remember, First and foremost, God loves you. He wants you in your life. If you have God in your life, he gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit represents that burning fire for your spirit in your heart. So when I was dealing, dealing with this, praying with this, God 
pulled me from the book of Ephesians into Matthew. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. So Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13. I'm going to break it up in a couple pieces because this is how God was revealing stuff to me. So I'm going to start while you guys are still looking. And the word of the Lord says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now this passage represents the virgins going out to meet the bridegroom. Now take into account, God sees things differently than we do. God sees the church body as his bride. So the virgins represents the children. Half are wise, half are foolish. In the midst of this, they're supposed to be preparing themselves for the day he's coming to get them. The oil, or in this case, we'll, we'll start with the, the full surgeon. The no oil represents them not believing, caring, or even preparing themselves for the day the bridegroom's going to come. In some cases, which even worse, many of these foolish people actually believe they are in God's will, but they're really not. That's why I think pastor, I think apostles who have also said to us, and the word who tells us that we should constantly check our hearts. If we check our hearts, believe you me when I say the Holy Spirit will let you know if you are in God's will or not. Or if you're struggling, if your lamp is flickering, or whatever it might be. But the oil, the, the virgins that had the oil represents the ones who do believe. That who went out believing that he's coming, they were prepared for him, and they were Diligently wait for him. Um, so, but not only that, how foolish can you be where you walk out with a lamp but you bring no oil? That means you're, you're deluding yourself to believe that you really are where you're not being. You're believing more than you should be believing. Your heart is not right. The ones that had the oil knew where they were. Your belief in God and doing what he's called you to do is him pouring the oil that makes that Holy Spirit burn brighter in you. That's why God always tells us we're supposed to be the light of the world. The light of the world is not us, it's not our spirits, it's the spirit within us. So when people look at you, they're not seeing you, they're seeing the spirit that's of God in you. And chapter, I mean, verse 6 states, And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all the, the virgins arose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us, and you go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. So in this case, it's starting to say, the cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming. 
in this day and age, that represents all the signs going on around us that Christ is coming. He is almost here, whether it's five seconds from now or 50 years from now, we don't know. Even Jesus said himself, he does not know. Only that is reserved for the Father. He's the only one. But in this case, the virgins were either prepared or not prepared. The foolish wine and oil for the, the wise virgins, but they got denied their request. The oil represents their faith and belief in Christ, and it's not something you can give away. The oil represents that burning desire in your heart for the Holy Spirit, our Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father. People who try to live under others' faith will soon find out how doomed they really are. So, the difference between the one with oil and the one with not is your belief, it's your faith. It's not something you can give away. And the ones who didn't believe are trying to suck the life and energy out of the ones who did believe. They can try it all they want. And it might only protect you for a small amount of time, but some point or another, God is going to wipe you out. Because it's at the end of the day, it's between you and God. It's not Dave or Maria or Mary. It's Maria's faith is not going to protect Dave. Dave can believe all he wants. And, and this isn't how it really is. I'm just using this example. Dave can believe all he wants that he's saved because he believes that he's using Maria to protect him. But at the end of the day, he's got to answer God why he didn't answer all the calls, why he didn't do every, everything that he was demanded to do. There's many couples out there. There's many people who are married out there, even brothers and sisters, sisters and sisters, families that believe they are saved and they are protected because of somebody else in that family. That will only go so far. Children are protected to a specific age, and that's the way God deemed it. But now it's up to us to push those kids hard and fast to understand when you get to this age, you're on your own because there's no way I can protect you any longer. It's between you and God. I had a long discussion with my daughters um, Monday. Pastor gave us a command to have communion with our families. I had it with my daughters. I've done communion before. I've done it in a play. But this time was completely different. To hear myself explain the, the, the bread and the wine the way it did blew my mind because it shows that God has is continued to work with me, move me, evolve the way I think and pray. And to hear how, I want to say straight or forceful, but how I was I want and I even one point I'm not requesting you, I'm commanding you. That I started to like going hard on that what I expect, what you have to do, because us as a family have fallen away from God a little bit. In some cases, some more than others. So in this point, I really pushed my daughters hard. And you can see in their faces, they didn't really like it. But in their eyes, I could tell they understood. So they're getting to the age where I can no longer protect them. Cyan is now 18. He has just turned 17. I can only protect them so much longer. So it's my job to help them understand how to fill their lanterns, their lamps. And 
chapter 10 through 13 states, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in and with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. So therefore, watch, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So the foolish virgins tried to rely on a materialistic belongings, everything they own, money, property that they had to believe they were making it to heaven. They were living day by day. They thought they were good. Jesus came and went. The heavens were closed. And now they're begging God to let them in. And that's one thing I constantly pray to God about. God, when that day comes, I don't want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear, get, get away from me. I don't know you. I'm not saying that paraphrasingly, but um, that's always a fear of mine. And that's something I always pray about. And that's something I always work on because I want to be there. So I, I do what Pastor says. I check my heart. I pray to God to help me be that good steward, to be that good servant. Instead of hearing, get away from me. I don't know you. That is what, if you really want to hear something, fear that. <clears throat> so, all right. So, to begin my closing, I want to give you a couple things to think about and how to walk in the light. The first one is acceptance. The first and most important thing about walking in the light is you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's no if, ain't, or buts about it. Without him, there is no light, not in your life. You might think there is. You might have all the blessings you think you have in your life. Your marriage might be great. Your kids might be awesome. You might have the awesome job, amazing car, amazing house. But at the end of the day, that means nothing. If Jesus Christ is not in your life and the Holy Spirit is not active in your, in your, in your heart and your spirit, it means nothing. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, the next thing you have to do is learn to accept what he's shown you. Because the first thing he's going to do, he's going to force you to accept and see and fix everything that is wrong with that. For example, and I hope... Brother Dave doesn't mind this because he's used it as a testimony. Brother Dave used to drink, and he struggled it. I thank God that you shared me. I think you shared it with me a little bit more than you did with the church. So I thank God, for example, using him, that when God revealed to him and he accepted Christ as his Lord, that he had to give up drinking, he, he accepted, okay, this is wrong about me. I have to give it up. If you're a smoker and God is telling you it's not time to give up smoking because if not, you're going to destroy your lungs. You have to learn to accept. You have to learn to accept whatever you're fighting that is actually causing the pain, the hurt, torment in your life. Whether it's a spiritual aspect or whether it's a physical aspect. Many times, it's probably both too. So, Acceptance is critical in your life. You have to learn to accept. You have to learn to accept correction. Lord knows many of us do not like to be corrected. Some people run from being corrected. I thank God when I get corrected. I don't like it. It hurts. It's not fun. 
But after I'm corrected, I pray on it, and I work on it. God knows I'm trying it. He's not going to hold hold me accountable for it and punish me because I'm fighting it in an emotional aspect, but I'm actually working on doing what he said I have to take care of. So the second part that is really critical about walking in light is prayer, fasting, and reading the word. Prayer is critical. I've, I know everyone in this room, many of you watching, have many testimonies of your own of how powerful prayer is. And I'm going to give you two quick testimonies i got to say. One, I've been praying for my daughter, Sayana, for the last couple years because she's about to turn 18, she's about to graduate high school, she's about to go to college. So I can pray, God, help me be the father I got to be, help me do everything I can to prepare her for leaving my side and going out into the world where she'll be on her own. Now, it's a fact, it's part of being a parent. Sometimes you always feel like you never did enough. So I always question God, did I do enough? Well, God answered my prayer. So one day, um, when I went to go get Sianna from school, it's it's a almost two-hour drive going up there and back. So on the way back, it was just me and her. So one day, she's like, Dad, I have some questions for you. I'm like, uh, okay. She's like, I was reading the Bible, and I had some questions. I don't understand. I'm like, okay. So it, right then and there, it shows me she's not next to me. She's in a room with three other, or two other girls, but she's reading the Bible. I'm like, yes, I did something right. So she asked me her questions to the best of my ability. There's soft I can answer, so thank God for that. Um, so I answered her questions. So, you know, we go on the whole weekend. We go off for another two weeks before I really see her again. And one night, I, I had to start laughing. I really had to start laughing with the text I got. She sent me a text with 16 questions. I'm like, girl, are you trying to test me? Like, are you serious? And these aren't just any questions. These are questions I never thought of when I read these scriptures. I'm like, I had to go back. I'm like, how is this girl seeing this stuff? So I had to reread the scriptures, trying to see it through her mind. So God's using her to teach me something new about the scriptures I've read numerous times. Sometimes I've had revelations on these scriptures. Sometimes I've had it. But to have a young girl show me something new. And now I got to answer all 16 of these questions. I told her, you got to give me some time because I have classes I got to teach. I got this I'm studying for. So, like, I'll study them. I'll get back to you. Keep writing your, your questions down. Get a notebook because it's going to be a while. She's like, that's fine. So, it makes you nervous. So, in two weeks' time, she had like 16 questions. It's been like a month. I don't even want to know how many questions this kid has. But the other reason why I, I, I like this, and I'm so proud of her, is Pastor Jose one day on a Sunday service gave her instructions. And I thank God to this day, she followed every one of them. She had to make an altar at the school in her dorm somehow, some way. She asked me to bring her to Morningstar. She had stuff to buy. No problem. She bought a ton of stuff. Oil, I think she bought oil and a couple other things. And a couple weeks later, when I went to go pick her up, she showed me the altar in her bedroom. And I was so proud of her that she obeyed God's word through Pastor Jose. She's studying the word of God. 
that she's drilling me with questions that making me scratch my head because I know I gotta think because I'm seeing scriptures to a whole new light. So please believe me when I say prayer is powerful, prayer is strong. God hears you as long as they are, for lack of a better way to explain it, the second, the righteous prayers. Fasting is just as important. It's a way of cleansing yourself. It's putting yourself aside for God and God alone. We all need that personal time with God. Uh, it goes Sunday night. I had my personal time with God. And believe me, I needed it. And a lot happened that night. I was almost crying the whole night because God, I could feel God was working with me somehow, somewhere that night. I didn't hear his voice. But I felt he was working in me. So I wasn't fasting, but I was thinking about fasting for like a, another day or so, uh, the next day or so. But I have fasted recently. I do pray. And the next part is reading the word. You have to read the word because if you don't read the word, how do you know God? How do you get to learn about God? How do you learn what God expects of us? What to stay away from? What to, to chase after? God, the word of God, or reading the Bible, is the word of God, and the word is God. So, God spoke everything to somebody's heart to place it in his word as an instruction manual for our, on, us, on us on how to live on a daily basis. But prayer, fasting, and reading the word is how we fill our lanterns, how we fill the fire that is burning our hearts. The more we pray, the more we fast, the more we read. If you're doing it right, the more you're going to feel that burning desire and want to learn more. And when I start getting really deep into this, I feel such deep desires like I did on Sunday. I was reading. I watched a couple of movies on Faith Base. Uh, I was praying. I noticed I'm praying differently, which I always ask God to help my prayer life evolve. And Sunday, on Monday, I saw a part of that happen where... When I did a communion, like I said before, it, it was different. And to me, it was more powerful. I don't know if the girls noticed it, but I never explained the communion the way I did it. So prayer, fasting, reading the word are important. It fills your lanterns. It helps you stay on track with God. The next one is evangelize. Evangelize is spreading the light and the word to others through the right way by helping them seek out Jesus on their own. Is to teach them how to fill their lanterns. When you evangelize, you're teaching other people a who Jesus is, how important he is in their lives, why they should seek him out, how beneficial having him in your life is. Now, many people could tell you, well, when I accepted Jesus Christ, my life went downhill. Well, no, it's because he's forcing you to confront those issues in your life, and you just don't want to do it. Your life isn't going downhill. It's you think you're going downhill because now you're being forced to accept those issues you're dealing with and to let them go. So it's it's all a mind thing. You have to let those things go. But that's why we got to evangelize. There's many of our brothers and sisters who don't know Christ that are still lost. One of the last commandments before Jesus left the earth and went back up to heaven after he risen from the dead was go out to all the nations. Baptize people in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and spread His word. That's 
like the last thing he said to his apostles, his disciples, before he left. So we, as disciples, as Christians, are also tasked to go out and preach the word. And now we're going to remember, we have so many outlets. We have social media, which is why you guys have the blessing and the benefit to hear this word through social media, even though we can't be here together. To go out to public, we have flyers, um, emails, videos, movies. There's so many different outlets now. It should be easier now than ever to evangelize. But people don't, out of fear, doubt. So don't be the one who's left behind regretting. And the last thing we'll talk about is run your race. I'm not going to read this scripture, but on your own time, reading First uh, Corinthians chapter nine, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven. The Apostle Paul uh, speaks about running the race. It basically means do everything you have to to keep your light, the lamp that is in your heart, burning while trying to encourage and motivate others to do the same. But don't get caught up. Don't get caught up in them so much that you forget about yourself. We are called to help others, to motivate others, to encourage others, to bless others. But the problem is, sometimes we want to be Superman, like Pastor says. We want to help people so much that we forget about ourselves. We go above and beyond to the point of our capability that we're not starting to hurt ourselves, our family. We lose track of ourselves. Our spiritual walk. So if I'm helping a fellow brother or sister, I'm constantly mentoring, constantly mentoring, constantly dealing with problems and issues. I forget to pray. I forget to fast. I forget to read the word. I forget to come to church. I forget to do many other things. Now, my walk is in danger. We are supposed to help, but we have to know where that balance is. We have to know when to do it, when not to do it. That's called discernment. Knowing when to do it, when not to do it. Seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance, who to help, who not to help, how to help, when to help, if we should help at all. It's not easy. A lot of us, or some of us, have the desire to help people. I see people out there that I want to help. And when I'm about to do it, I see somebody holding a cigarette or like a bottle that looks like alcohol. I'm like, I'm not going to give them money. Because I'm afraid of what they're going to use it for. If they want food, I'll give them food, but I'm not going to sit there and give them cash. Now, where I might be held accountable because I'm giving them the means to go buy more cigarettes or more alcohol or fly more drugs. I don't know. So, do what you got to do. Follow God's commands. Most of us in here, most of you watching, some of you who are watching who are just starting your walk, or for even some of you who are debating whether or not you should walk, trust me, do it. It's worth it. It won't be easy at first, but if you find a, a, a good church, a, a brother or sister, a mentor that is in the faith, that will confront you when you need it, not baby you and all the time you're doing something wrong, that's the man or woman that you need in your life that will set you straight. But will also encourage you, motivate you, when it's the right way to do it. And it will keep you on the right path. And as long as you're on that path, the light inside here will burn bright. And that's what we need. We're supposed to be the light of the world. So at this time, I want to thank everybody for joining in on social media here tonight. I hope you enjoyed tonight's service. 
Again, you can continue to watch us on all social medias at TRC413. Uh, please make sure you forward this message. We will be here again on Sunday at 12 p.m. You can do hashtag experience as well. And I hope to see you there.